हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब द फॉलोइंग इज अ कॉन्वर्सेशन विद प्राची जावडेकर वाक words and dance form her creative identity she has a masters degree in mass communication from the symbiosis institute of mass communication pune she's worked in television news and event management ntv aajtak headlines today show house events for over 11 years meanwhile she has found her calling in kathak under guru pandit chitresh das and seema mehta and she began training under them at chandam nitya bharati in 2010 she continues to train under the guidance of madhuri devi singh and joanna desouza and she heads marketing and communication for the institution since 2012 yeah namaste prachi um happy to have you here i want to acknowledge uh, seema ji seema mehta for can introducing me to you uh and just to start off with um can you tell us a little bit about like uh, how has 2022 gone for you in terms of the performances dancing teaching all of that would love to just know about more of that oh namaskar first of all and thank you for having me and uh, i'm really grateful to seema didi and uh, joanna didi as well because i i see there's a long connection that actually binds all of us true um 2022 has been a great year uh, for many reasons is uh, dance wise definitely because um, things opened up here in mumbai and uh, we were able to open up as a school also uh, bring back our students who had all gone online uh, bring in new students who wanted to learn but were not comfortable with online or had this whole online fatigue for two years so um, so we were able to dance in a space together uh, listen to each other see each other touch and feel each other so it it felt like uh, a wonderful rebirth kind of a moment for all of us and yes performance wise also um, things opened up uh, we had two performances three performances uh, since uh, the beginning of this year um, as a school as a solo as duet so i looking forward to 2022 being like a great uh, new beginning of sorts for uh, myself and for chandam as well yeah it's great to know that that people are coming back in you've had new students come in and you know everything that's going on so i wanted to know since you are like a communications major and you're in kathak how do those two worlds come together and how does that one inform the other for you so this is really how uh dance came into my life as well in a way uh, i'll just give you a little background on on that so i uh, studied mass communication and i was working in television um while i was working with ndtv 24/7 um i used to do these night shifts quite often uh like you know graveyard shifts where uh, i was in hardcore reporting at that time so uh, so what time does a night shift night shift start and end like just so we know what is a night shift time 10 pm huh? 10 pm mm-hmm. uh, to 8 am oh so it's it's a real night graveyard shift and usually there's only like one person or two people in the entire office at that time cuz you're not really expecting too much to happen at night but whatever happens in whatever 
you know, beat, irrespective of what beat uh, you are covering, you're supposed to cover that. So there used to be many nights when nothing would happen or nothing worth reporting would happen. And those are the nights I would uh, just research Kathak and uh, watch videos and, uh, you know, just browse the internet. And, and that's when uh, I saw uh, Guruji's uh, uh, video for the first time, Pandit Chitresh Das. Uh, and then I got so hooked. Then night after night, uh, I just, you know, kept uh, pouring myself into that. And I saw his disciples performing and I read about them. And I was so inspired and I wanted to learn. And I found out that they are not here in India because at that time there was uh, no school in India at that time. Uh, so the time went by and uh, I, was, I just thought, you know, like, maybe I should just learn somewhere else and or wait. And then two years after that, uh, I found out that Seema Didi had actually moved to India, Seema Mahataji, and she had started a uh, Guruji school here. And I instantly grabbed onto that opportunity and I um, you know, went and enrolled myself. And so I joined uh, in the same year that the school started in India in 2010. And I've been uh, learning since then. Uh, and then I had the great opportunity of learning under Guruji as well on, his, on every trip that uh, he made to India. Communication uh, and dance felt interconnected to me at all times because the more I immersed myself in learning, uh, I started understanding how uh, you're using your body and uh, you're using musical elements, you're using elements of Abhinaya as well as rhythm to actually tell a story. Even when you're not really telling a story, when you're just doing an element in Kathak, there is so much communication happening between the audience and the dancer. Uh, and that is in a way probably unique to Kathak because you can't dance in a bubble. You have to interact with the audience and you have to pull the audience into what you're doing. You often break down and explain. So your communication skills are always key and it's as important as your dance skills and your dance technique. And uh, I saw interdependence and uh, interconnections in that. And then the more I researched and the, the, the deeper I dived into the art form, I started understanding that um, the whole concept of bards and minstrels telling stories uh, and the origins of Kathak are actually like the mass media of ancient times. So what we as uh, media people in the modern age are doing, which is spreading ideas and ideologies and uh, stories, we are all storytellers at the end of the day. And they were the mass uh, storytellers of that time who told about uh, the kings and the queens and the wars and uh, the important people. And they built all these images that have actually lasted even today. Whether you call it mythology or history, we know because of the oral tradition and the oral tradition was, was the media of those days. So these kinds of thoughts and these kinds of interdependence uh, ideas really intrigued me. And uh, I, I look into that element even today as somebody who now teaches and as somebody who dances, um, that I am at the end of the day being a storyteller and I'm communicating and whether it is initiating a child who's getting the first taste of Kathak or performing for an audience who that is mature, uh, you are constantly communicating. And there is this great interdependence in these two disciplines. So yeah, thank you for that analogy between mass media and Kathak storytelling. That's really an interesting thought. 
on that and um, i guess since uh, do you so do you think like when you teach dance to someone do you also teach the communication aspect of it or since you've learned that kind of academically how do you impart that when you're teaching that yourself i definitely impart that as part of the teaching process because i understand that when you're a dance teacher you're not just teaching dance you have to teach uh, how to communicate and in fact that was also the birthplace of uh, that piece which i think you watched as well jataka tales because i was trying to create a teaching aid for uh, children who were not who are not already kathak dancers or not students of kathak but who are going to be introduced to the vocabulary of dance so i thought how uh, would one then bring about uh, this concept that you're not going to come just to learn dance you're going to come to learn and be effective communicators because whether you go deep into a dance form or not you will take home so many things and the dance form offers so many things like simple things like how you hold your posture and body language and what that communicates about you whether you are confident or whether you are sure about what you are doing or whether you are unsure and these simple things will take you will be useful for you in many different aspects of life not just as a dancer when you are doing padhan when you are explaining what you are doing when you are just saying your pranam at that time are you dancing to be seen or are you dancing for a certain upliftment within so these elements happen as you teach and while these happen to me as i learn and i then take on the process of teaching i to teach the children as well children and adults the students that don't do this as something that is in a bubble this is something that you are going to subconsciously also communicate even if if you are not communicating with words and you got you have to be aware of that and then you can use that in life whether it's in your job or whether it's at school or uh, among friends so yeah i do talk about it yep thanks for sharing that background as to how it's kind of part of your process as well and i guess coming into communication um next thing i want to discuss is relatability how do you make kathak i guess relatable to people who are familiar with classical arts per se so um this is something that uh, we always discuss as uh, kathak students and kathak dancers that it really touched us and in my particular case i don't come from a dance or music background i wasn't raised in a household where there was you know classical dance or music uh, growing up so and yet it touched me at a, at a much later uh, stage and age in life uh, and once it touches you uh, the question of relevance actually takes a back seat because then uh you know why you're doing it you're seeing um the beauty of it you're seeing the aesthetics you're seeing the athleticism or you're seeing the spiritual element and that keeps you going and that keeps you engaged but when until you get there 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 will be times and there will be audiences or there might be those who want to learn uh for whom you need to make it relatable and i know that many senior dancers who also don't agree with the concept that it's not necessary that, that you should find this relatable to your life you should appreciate dance for what it is or you should appreciate art for what it is right but i feel that me creating access is really important not just for preservation and promotion for of the art form but for a person to make it his own as well his or her own so we do uh, create this access 
by once again taking hold of the storytelling element in kathak that's what i specifically focus on um because everyone loves a great story and everyone is a great storyteller consciously or subconsciously when you tell your friends oh this happened today at work or at school you're being a storyteller right so we then take that and bring that into the classroom or uh, this is mostly for the classroom about how you make this relatable so even when you're teaching a story which is mythology which happened many years ago uh to see the context of how that could be applicable to your life today and this is uh, to give an example the story that everyone learns in the first year uh, itself is the story of kaliya daman where krishna and kaliya uh, uh, you know they they face each other in battle and now why do we need to learn this story why do we need to learn the same stories over and over again so that's where we answer these questions because that's where the questions spring from and we and look at it from our own personal lives or modern contexts where they say that you know these can be looked at as metaphors and it's not a human versus a serpent it's you fighting your own demons and you uh, confronting them by jumping into that poison river um you when krishna lifts the mountain and uh, in the story of govardhan giri the metaphor is that you have to respect nature so instead of respecting say an arrogant god like indra which is a different metaphor you look after the environment and you look after nature and nature will protect you and you know it's so these are the elements that we bring in and help them relate to what they are learning yeah thanks for breaking down that example because that was going to be my next question anyway and in terms of the stories you choose prachi i'm very curious about this so there are the stories that you've been telling from like say the ramayana mahabharat uh, and i i was wondering outside of that are there any other stories you uh, incorporate whether that's like more say current like what's happening in today's world or like a couple of decades ago or like from other regions and folks and things like that i just want to know like what are the kind of stories you like to look into outside of what's kind of traditionally considered like in the kathak storytelling repertoire right so the kathak storytelling repertoire uh the traditional one is fairly uh you know uh, i wouldn't say restricted or limited but focuses more on um uh, the ramayana Mahab, the epic literature that we have and also largely focusing on north india because that's where the dance form comes from and originates um but yes um for me Jataka Tales was one example where I had the opportunity to break out of that mold. It comes from Buddhist literature. Um, it also uh, it's sort of a cross between classical and folk literature because it's not necessarily uh, it has many versions. Um, for me, that was very exciting because of the characterization that uh, I got to work on, which which really uh, interests me. Which is they are they are um, genderless characters. It's not the you know very obvious male personification and the female and the way we learn uh, how to use the body language stand with your feet wide apart open your shoulders when you're portraying say a man and then you have this whole the whole concept of the veil and you know the body language changing as a female but here we're talking about they're all animal characters and uh, the animals have a personality of their own but they're not necessarily male or female so for me bringing that story alive through the same vocabulary of kathak uh 
was a fun experience and i've seen that that also i get that kind of a response from those who watch it or learn it with me because they get to personify something or someone that they are not and cannot be and yet put human uh, qualities like the deer has the quality of say beauty or perseverance and the woodpecker has the quality of bravery and courage uh, and they're telling the story of courage and friendship which are uh, very human qualities through uh, characters that are not human so that's one example and i am certainly very very interested in also doing things that are more recent just historically or chronologically so another element that um i'm working on although it's uh, i don't know where it will lead but it's like work in progress is uh, just just exploring veer rasa as one of the nine rasas because kathak lends itself beautifully i think uh, to explore this rasa right because of guruji's style also the whole uh, you know um, vigor and uh, the athleticism in with which he has trained and he has trained his disciples and what we learn and carry forward hope to carry forward so within the veer rasa in maharashtra where i come from uh there is a tradition of uh, ballads called powadas i don't know if you uh, if you have yeah so powadas are entirely entrenched in the veer rasa but they are ballads and heroics told about uh, they are mostly about warriors but taking from that powada style and then talking about unsung heroes and exploring the veer rasa through that uh is something that is uh that i am in the process of working on right now and I, i hope it's going to lead to something some somewhere at some point of time i'm sure it will um yeah i learned about powaras first time when manisha thai manisha sathe came on and that was the first thing we started talking about so that's where i learned about them there i wanted to talk about like portraying animals because there's so many layers to it right because like you have to pick an animal figure out what the animal characteristics are what are the human characteristics are what are the if the animal was a human what would they be so how do you teach all of that or how does that how does that process look like for you if you're trying to teach someone how to be an animal per se or like do the abhinaya portion of an animal just want to know how that process works if you can break it down a little bit sure so for me uh the base is always what is traditionally handed down to us hmm. right? so that is always the starting point um so be it a composition or a bowl uh that we have already learned either as pure dance or as an abhinaya piece but it is but it's already set and it's already been refined and worked on by gurus and a whole lineage of gurus so that is always a starting point and taking from there um i while teaching um after i get them to be familiar with the bowl uh we do recitation in different ways as one of the starting points of the process where we start adding um bhav or the element of emotion into just the recitation so if you took the same bowl for example and you recited it um with the with as anger for example so how would you say uh, say take the same thing just you know just to pick an a tick pick a bowl from an exercise um thai thai ta thai ta 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 de de dha now if you just take that bowl now i'm angry with you so how am i going to do that so thai thai ta 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 de de dha and now you're responding with apology so like 
pay, pay. So basically, just work with emotions, just with the same goal. That's that's one way of getting into that process. Then we come to the actual character, which is an animal. So if it's younger audiences, if it's younger uh, people I'm interacting with, then we talk about just the animals they have seen actually in person because we are also living in a day and age where all the examples are coming from, say, what they've seen on screen, but whether they've actually observed the animal in nature, in the wild, or if it's not a wild animal. So we take on a discussion from there and then I make them come out uh, with, you know, what is it peculiar that they notice that if they had to depict that animal, they would do, which they would not do for another animal. So say if you were a cow, how would your cow be different from a dog? And that is not necessarily from, say, a hastak or, uh, you know, it could simply be how you held your body or how you, how you walked or how you looked. And you leave that so open to they, them? like to interpret. I leave that open to them as part of the process hmm. because I have to make them think and relate to that character themselves and not mimic a set choreography, right? Because that is the whole concept of making it relative. And, uh, and it's amazing what I get back because every time I do this, it's a different experience for me because everybody has a different way of relating to that character. So uh, whether they've seen a lion in hunt or a lion sleeping makes a big difference to how they would imagine the body, body language of the lion, right? And so that's how we then start building characters from their own perspectives and points of view. And then we put the bowls and... Uh, the characteristics that we want to pick uh, as part of the story because we want in this story we want the lion to be brave or we want the lion to be coy depending on that then we put it layer it with the bowl and then it's a process of layering one over the other and i that's how we build it that's a really I, I love that example especially like the part where you say you leave it open to them kind of lets them do some creative work within a good like a structure as well and um, so one thing i want to know Praji, uh, is like say chandam india itself you know because um, and if i get some of the parts wrong just feel free to correct me like in the sense when chandam india was established in bombay it already had a huge history in the us and before that you know there was a version of that school in kolkata so since you've seen that whole history coming up in mumbai in a place where there's a dance school in every nook and cranny and there's kathak already so what was it like in the initial days and establishing that school getting students since you've been there from the get-go wanted to know some of that history as well starting from mumbai what was that like so for me, I knew about Chandam's existence in the US because I had, uh, you know, thanks to YouTube and uh, the internet. Uh, so when I actually, the first time I came face to face is I saw Guruji in performance at NCPA. And I was sitting, I happened to uh, be in the first row over there. So the distance from which I observed him and I saw his footwork and I saw his Abhinaya, I was just completely blown over. And um, I don't know, how many people in Mumbai had that experience at that time? It was just before 2010 uh, to observe him from that distance or observe him in person, watch him dance live because uh, Seema Didi had already started, uh, you know, making sure that he was performing in India by then or once every year or twice, uh, you know, in, in those few years. So every single person who had seen Guruji dance in person just absolutely knew what they would learn and what would be the differentiating element uh, compared to what was already available here. Uh, 
which is the huge responsibility uh, from the point of view of his disciples and students, because that is the lineage we have to continue and pass on. So when I enrolled into the class, I knew that this is the style I will be learning. This is this will be the fire I'll be expected to walk on, and this will be the kind of commitment I would be required to make. Um, what I see that is that is as is the key differentiating factor. The way we approach the dance form as not something that you can do only as a hobby or something that you do twice a week and then forget about it. Not you are not all coming here to train to become performing artists or professional artists, but the place of Kathak in your life needs to be more than you know going twice a week to the gym like that so uh, the approach to the dance form and to make riyas a part of your life i think is something that chandam india and chandam all over the world really puts a whole lot of emphasis on and i think everyone who comes to chandam uh, sees that and that is what keeps them engaged the most the mm. whole emphasis on riyas and how it changes you as a person mm. and as a dancer understood and since you joined as a student could you, uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you started taking on more and more responsibility to where you're kind of doing marketing and teaching today there how did that kind of evolution look like for you yeah so i joined uh, and i was still working at ndtv at that time then yeah. i joined and i had a one-year-old son at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so in my opinion i was a very late uh, starter but over the last 12 years, uh, I have come to realize that, you know, when you start is not as important as what you do once you start, hmm. right? So whether you start at the age of nine or 19 or 29, uh, how you approach it after you've decided to show up and then you show up every time is what will make a difference to how good or uh, how well-trained a dancer you will be. So uh, for me, the journey as a student was grueling uh, because I was a new mother. I also had a full-time job and I had this dance class where I was expected to not just show up, but show up with rigorous practice. So eventually I knew that uh, this is what I wanted to do more seriously. So um, I quit my job at NDTV um, and I hadn't decided what I wanted to do at that point of time, but I knew I wanted to do something with the dance. I did not know whether I was, how good a dancer I will be or whether I will be do, doing anything professionally with the dance at all. But Seema Didi, uh, I think she really does have that eye of uh, seeing uh, not just potential in students, but also how the students can uh, contribute to the school based on their backgrounds or their you know, education or their skills. So she asked me if, uh, since I'm, I am a media professional, would I, I would like to, you know, help with the marketing and building and growing of the school. And I instantly jumped on that opportunity. Now having no idea what marketing meant because I was a hardcore editorial person. I had never worked on the business side of the organization. So I was not just learning dance. I was learning a whole lot more off the dance floor as a student in Chandam. And I think I've grown as a marketer with Chandam itself. I mean, it's, the exact same journey for the organization and for myself. My role as a marketer is, um, of course, to grow the school and uh, to make sure that the work that the school is doing in terms of teaching and performance is seen, um, to create all the Marcom material, whether it's, uh, you know, the social media or uh, everything that you need 
to put out there um, goes either either I do it or it goes through me. So it's uh, it keeps me connected with the dance off, on the dance floor and off the dance floor too. So on the note of marketing, I'm very curious. So if, uh, I wanted to know in general what works well for you, whether like in terms of like say Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of that, word of mouth. What has what have you found works well for Chanda when it comes to say attracting students or like say attracting an audience for performance? If the way you approach those things are different, which platforms are working better right now? Just want to get your thoughts on that. Um, I'd say uh, our push on social media started more recently. Um, before that, and even today, word of word of mouth is our number one. Uh, uh, like I would say, you know, the one thing that people hear about us in person is nothing compared to what we can put out on social media. Because uh, that three that experience of being in a class and experiencing it, and then talking about it, and because you are touched by it, uh, has a far more impact than uh, a short, small reel or a social media campaign. Uh, so that I would say is number one. And uh, we are uh, growing our social media now with the, we were more forced rather because of the whole pandemic situation. When uh, we started thinking differently about how we can put things out or how we can use social media. So some doing simple things like doing a 21 day challenge that we did. Uh, simply to get the students also motivated and stay connected and to get the opportunity to see each other and to see what we are doing in our own practice spaces. And those things actually work in a more 360 degree way. So for those who see that kind of content, see what is happening, even when the teacher is not front of you, in front of you. Um, so developing the right kind of content for social media, I think is uh, key for us to keep ourselves differentiated in terms of what we do in our marketing. So these two things for sure. Mm. Yeah, I really like the challenges. And one time I did get to hop on to see the live and Simadi was doing the, like uh, just a quick, quick session on an intro thing on Tuesdays. So I did get like to see that. And uh, one thing I want to know Prachi is like to say, uh, Panichitris as he was taught a certain way and he he taught a certain way. Same thing for Simaji, who's kind of a senior student and same thing for you. So I want to know for you, Prachi, how do you feel you teach differently than how you were taught? Just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, so I definitely don't teach differently from the way I was taught when it comes to the actual material. Yeah, makes or sense. the technique. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm nobody to change that or touch that. Yep. Um, and I mean, it is what it is, and it is so beautiful because of the gurus who handed it down, right? Or uh, generation to generation. Uh, I do teach differently based on who I'm teaching. So uh, I think audience assessment is a very important role, and I think that comes probably because I have a communicator's mind working in the background all the time. So uh, assessing that this is an audience that can handle this or learns like this and not like this is something that I try to uh, do in my class. So to give you an example, um, when I'm working with children, there are certain children who are very rhythmic naturally. And uh, even if they don't know the specifics of what the tal is and what the lay is, they will be in rhythm because they're just body 
naturally tunes well to rhythm. Okay. And then there are those who don't, right? And then to bring the ones who are not in tal and not in rhythm and first to get into their brains to, for them to understand what rhythm means. And then to slow down and pace the class in such a way that one is not getting bored and the other is not getting stressed. Uh, so these are, uh, this is the kind of silent communication that needs to happen between the teacher and the student. And I think I, I consciously uh, do that, trying to gauge at all times what is working for whom and uh, how I can hone that and how I can use that and what doesn't work for someone. And so I shouldn't probably, you know, use those techniques. And I would say personally for me, uh, raising two kids and observing them also makes a difference because I actually observe them to see how they learn more than what they learn. And that teaches me how I should teach. Understood. And on that note, so say when you're looking at people and you're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't, you know, uh, from, I guess, from a really, really large scale in the sense, not, not a large scale, like a large range. So say if it's one or two people, maybe it's easier to see what each person is doing. If it's a hundred students, maybe it's much difficult and almost impossible. So for you, what is that sweet spot for you where you can like uh, a number of students where you can kind of still gauge what each person is doing while not being overwhelmed by the number of students in that class? What has that, that sweet spot been for you? Uh, I wouldn't be able to put down a number as a sweet yeah. spot. But I can definitely say that um, given the duration of the class, oh, that hmm. is what really makes a difference. Okay. So if you, if you have a one hour class, then uh, you know that you will be able to do certain things and you will not be able to see some things. So how you split that one hour hmm. and how you use that one hour is really the, the role of an intelligent teacher. Okay. Um, so even if it's more students or if it's less students, it is actually a, um, a variable of the time you have with them yeah. uh, that you can use. So then mm -hmm. if, then you know that, okay, I can do this over two classes, not one, or I can do this over five classes, not one. Yeah. But uh, yeah. how I will use those five classes is, mm. is what uh, is where I bring my and invest of my abilities to that. Understood. Understood. Uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing that perspective as to like how you split up the time is more important. Uh, changing gears a bit, just want to know about like, say, going back to bit stories, because I realized this is a topic I haven't touched upon yet. Uh, one thing we did want to discuss is alternative histories of people or, you know, because you mentioned that storytelling is often told from this viewpoint of the protagonist. So just want to know your thoughts, like what are in that respect when someone isn't the protagonist, how does telling their stories change how you're saying it or the emotion of it and things like that? Um, so I think um, this this whole area of telling the story not, mm -hmm. not from the dominant protagonist, I wouldn't say protagonist and not, because if I am telling, uh, say, the story uh, in the Jataka tale where there is an antelope, there's a woodpecker and there's a tortoise, uh, at the time, either the antelope could be the protagonist or the woodpecker could also be the protagonist, right? So, jiski kahani mein bol rahi hu, wo protagonist hai. That may not be the, or the he or she or that uh, character may not be the dominant protagonist in the most popular version of that story. Mm, okay, makes sense. So, so in, so in Rama and Ram is the protagonist. 
so uh, and i will say that ravan will be the protagonist if i'm telling the story from ravan's point of view or if i'm telling the story from hanuman's point of view then hanuman is the protagonist of my uh, story or my ramayan in that sense uh, so that is what really interests me because i uh, the i've i've been a history buff and uh, the more i read different versions of the same story and the same history i feel the need to look at the same story from a different from the other character's point of view which is probably not uh, the protagonist in that particular version of the story so to give you an example uh, this is not something i've worked on but uh, recently i read a book uh, called valmiki's women i don't know if you're aware of this book um, you should look it up it's a fascinating book Mm. Uh, by Anand Nilakantan. Okay. So it writes. Uh, it's it's the it's the women. It's the female characters in the Ramayan, and each chapter is that character's story. Okay. So it's it's the story of Shanta, who was Ram's uh, sister, who many uh, Ramayans don't even mention, or many people don't even know that she existed. That Dashrath had a firstborn, uh, and she did not. become the ruler of ayodhya because she was a woman oh, and wo- how her life panned out hmm. and yeah so like there are these characters uh, that we don't know about because they are not the protagonists of uh, in the mind then the story of uh, mantara who was who's always depicted as the you know the one eyed uh, kubja the one who had the you know uh, bent in her spine and she uh, pushed kaikai but why would what would drive mantra to do what she did so what could be the back story so understanding characters that the great valmiki has already built and he built those characters and put the gave them that narrative because that is the story he wanted to tell now when you look at these other characters you have to take some creative liberties because you may not have that much literature or uh, evidence to back those stories that makes sense but, but certainly uh, they do make for alternative points of view right so so that's that's something that uh, uh, i'm talking about when i say alternative histories um, so even in more contemporary uh, histories if you look at uh, rani lakshmi bai story for example uh, we know only one element of her life which is the battle which which she fought and uh, she faced the british and you know even like the archaeological evidence of this it's not very strong about it a lot of it is also legend so then you know to uncover those layers of what the legend is and to look at the character and to look at the other people who made the character who she was uh, looking at a woman who was educated who was trained in warfare uh, taking over the reins of a of a state uh, why weren't there other women there you know if if she could do it so so this is the kind of research that uh, drives me and i think it, whether i dance these characters or not or whether they become performances or not they definitely influence uh, what i do whatever i do um and uh, i think it shows also because uh, i don't change what i am taught and i believe as a student we should learn with zero judgment and we should learn everything as it is taught but when you make it your own these elements will uh, matter understood and um, 
Yeah, I was just looking this up. It looks like there's one on Audible, so I'm definitely going to put that down and start listening to it. Um, yeah, I'm glad there's an Audible version of it as well. Oh, and seven and a half hours, so it should be fun. <laughs> so it's a very thick book then, right? Like Valky Malmiki's Women? Uh, I've also... Uh... I finished yours. yesterday the audiobook itself. Okay, got you, got you. So it's a good narration and everything? Like easy to follow? It's or? a good narration, yeah. Okay. I started it a while back, then I had dropped it for something else for a while. Okay. And I just picked it up and I finished it yesterday. So it's okay. pretty quick. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to hear that. And I guess, Prachi, yeah, we've kind of covered everything we wanted to. Uh, for my last question, I wanted to ask you, uh, I guess I wanted to know some of your most memorable performances, whether that's you solo, duet, or like showcases with Chandam and wanted to know some stories from there as well since we're talking about storytelling itself. So if you could tell us some stories from your performances from whichever perspective you choose. So, um, I'd like to talk about um, one element that uh, I think of very subconsciously and uh, I try to bring it out, although it may not may or may not always work that is up to the audience, which is um, the element of Hasyaras. Because I personally feel amongst all the rasas, this is the one that is probably least, uh, it's kind of neglected in dance. Because you see a lot of humor in uh, the, uh, in dramaturgy or, you know, yeah. but when it comes to dance and classical dance, uh, the dominant rasas are the ones like Veer or Shringar and how much, how much of humor or do you, are you able to see in classical dance? And I feel like that is, humor is the, is like breaking ice with audiences. Um, and it's it's a rasa that speaks to me. So recently um, we had this Baithak performance, we had a series of Baithak performances where uh, I was performing a solo and uh, the last piece I was performing is a Chaiti, which I learned from Madhuri Didi, Madhuri uh, Singh Didi. She is a guru sister of our Guruji Pandit Chitrish Das. And, uh, and a style courtesan. So very, very fortunate to be learning directly from her. And uh, it's a completely different uh, aesthetic and element in Kathak. That and what's a Chaiti? So Chaiti falls in the larger uh, genre of, you know, the Thumris and the semi-classical music. So you have ch Chaitis, Kajris, Horis. Uh, they, they're all largely uh, uh, termed as Thumris, but they have their individual definition. So Chaitis are songs that were usually sung in the Chaitra uh, mass, the month of Chaitra, so around springtime. And uh, many of them have a very similar tune. Uh, they like they come draw from the folk elements of Braj. And uh, so this particular Chaiti goes, <clears throat> uh, it says, Jhullini me lagele najariya horama, which means, uh, Jhullini means a big nose ring. So uh, she's saying, Jhullini me lagele najariya horama, hum na pahinbe. I don't want to wear it because it's bringing me the evil eye. And uh, the depiction, it goes into, uh, I go to the market and then everyone's looking at me. Then I go, uh, I go to different places and, you know, it's the jewelry that's making everyone stare at me. And it's a very common theme, uh, even though it must have been written many, many hundreds of years ago. Uh, the whole element of getting uh, stared at and uh, the whole male gaze and eve teasing is something that every single person experiences. So 
uh, it was not hard to relate to uh, a piece of music and literature that's actually so ancient. But I wanted to bring in the element of Asya in that. And um, thankfully, I have, we have teachers who, once they've taught you, they let, they let you make it your own. So, um, so I worked on that and how to depict the men staring at the girl. And especially in, in the solo art form where you're portraying all the characters, right? So you're also the woman who doesn't want to be seen and she's pulling her veil and she wants to cover. And then you're also the man who's like, you know, really lewd and he's like vulgar and he's looking at her. So I, I was uh, able to, you know, bring in elements and I took a minor creative liberty and I did this, which I don't know if, I don't know what that, uh, if that relates to you, but um, comes completely from popular culture. There is a movie which, which became a super hit here called Pushpa. I don't know if you, if, if you know that movie. So it's a, it's a Telugu movie. Again, it was, it was a rage here. And uh, millions of people, not millions, but many people the world over have done like reels doing that because that's what he does in the movie. That's like a signature move of the hero. And I just wanted to, portray this real brash character and I just did that like you know to show the man and I either I would completely fall flat or I would evoke some laughter from the audience and I was pleasantly surprised that people knew what I was doing and they laughed and uh, then I was like okay so a it's okay to do something like this uh, where I'm taking from something as modern as a movie character and people are relating to it and laughing, which means they understood what's going on. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, just a tiny thing. And I don't know whether that relates to a story or not, but uh, I also, I'm always conflicted about the concept of the whale. And like I said, that when we learn something, we don't question it and we don't judge it and we shouldn't. But when we make it your, our own, we should think about uh, what we are doing. So this is something I had discussed also with Seema Didi, that uh, all the time showing that, okay, I don't want to be stared at and I don't want to get into trouble. Hence, I will cover myself is not something I would tell my daughter, right? I, don't, I wasn't raised like this and I don't want to raise the next generation of girls like this. So why should I depict the woman as always the one who wants to cover and go back because I, uh, she'll get into trouble. There are so many metaphors to the wheel. It, mean, it, it stands for so many things beyond a piece of fabric. Mm. So I asked her, said, is it okay if I, if I pull the wheel and do all the beautiful movements that uh, we've been taught, but I also take the opportunity to send the message that I will not retreat and the man needs to leave and not look at me because I will wear this jewelry and I will show it off and I'm not going to cover my face. Mm. And she was okay. She said, yes, I mean, this is your performance now. And if you feel strongly about it, you should do it like that. And I took the opportunity to do it like that. So, so that's where I feel like uh, it liberates us as dancers and artists. Mm. And we are communicating and sending a message that now this is what we believe in. And while we will learn the ancient ways and we will uh, do them with beauty, we will communicate that there is an alternative. You said we will say, we will communicate that there is an alternative, right? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a wonderful way to end it. Thanks for sharing those anecdotes and like there's a lot of Dr. Chu on there, of course. Um, yeah, just to recap, we talked about storytelling, communication, how you teach other people storytelling, making it relatable, and how teaching is different for you versus how it was for your say gurus per se. And yeah, thanks for coming on, Prachi. I think this is really good for me. I got to learn a lot of things. And as always, like doing a podcast also inspires me to do my own practice. So I have to, and that's kind of my my, my, my question. And there's like a wooden board behind that. So I'm going to drop that down today at some point and get that done Still as well. In. So yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. You have fun practicing. Practice hard. <laughs> for sure. For <laughs> sure. It was lovely talking to you, Pramis.